Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Now we don't have Carl with us this week, but we do have Johnny Sisson. So hello Johnny in Chicago. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Good. And I'm, I'm feeling particularly good actually this week because I've done pinhole photography this morning. I've Whoa. never done it before. Very good. And That's been, great. I've produced images, so um, <laughs> developed my own photos, so uh, I'm now an expert in this kind of thing. Um, but I say, I say an expert, but frankly, we have a guest with us this week that knows a lot more about, uh, well, alternative things to do with the camera, um, because we have Nick Lyle with us from the Homemade Camera Podcast. Hello, Nick. Hello. And I hadn't realized but I guess alternative things to do with the camera is a good good description. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. uh, Nick Nick is um, is uh, the co-host uh, because you you co-host the um, homemade camera podcast with uh, with with Graham. Actually, I don't know Graham's surname. Graham, Graham Young. Graham Young. Young. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Um, his, in fact, his father was from England. Oh, good guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's how we got the name Jeremy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's called Jeremy now. Um, yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you, you do a, a podcast, um, and it's something I've, I've actually been uh, listening, and I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast actually for, for, for a while, because I've been trying to catch up in between all the other podcasts that are going on out there. Um, I've, I started listening to the uh, Homemade Camera po- podcast, um, and I've really enjoyed it because you, I'm, I'm still probably on about episode actually i was going to say episode four but you did an episode 4a or something like that and i don't know if you did a 4b or just jumped to five i can't i can't quite remember um but i each week or each episode i should say you would you would talk in the early days at least you would talk about part of a camera and about you know what what these things were all about and and then you would talk about um making your own camera um partly using some of the um uh, theology, if you like, of uh, what you've just been talking about. So, um, Nick, do you want to tell us a little bit more of, uh, about yourself, about your podcast and your interest in photography? Sure. Um, I'm not going to go on for too long, but, you know, I'm old enough that I started out shooting film on an all-mechanical camera. And then because I was a kind of a starving artist type, I used that camera for the next 25 years. So I missed the entire evolution of photographic equipment from 1970s through till the year 2000 when I started using a digital camera. And so I went right from all mechanical Nikromat to, you know, fully, uh, fully developed DSLR cameras with everything automatic. And I used them for about 10 years and was bored to tears by them and didn't really use them for anything except my work, which was shooting artwork in order to you know sell the product of you know what I was making for a living and I shot slides on that mechanical camera for for 25 years and then all of a sudden everything went to digital and switched to that but was bored by the actual photography and then I stumbled on a Fuji X-Pro1 and that was fun to use in the same way that the old Nikromat was and so once I started using that camera of course one thing led to another and I tried you know putting uh, flea market lenses on it. And as many people have found, that became an obsession of its own. And once I had a pile of odd old lenses, it occurred to me I might as well have a film body or two. And, and then I started shooting film again. And 
The difference for me, the big exciting thing was that when you can scan film and work with it in, you know, modern software, it completely changes what you can do. I mean, I did darkroom work, you know, way back in the old days, and it was just monochrome and simple processes, and it was a lot of fun, but I could never afford the, the either the time or the money for, you know, real color work. But once you can do all that in a computer, it becomes easily accessible, you know, no need for chemicals, all of that becomes uh, inexpensive and practical. So discovering what color film can really do when you have uh, a good hold on it, like you can working with it in uh, Photoshop and Lightroom and, and that kind of thing, um, was really exciting. I mean, I was getting much more interesting work shooting film. And so now I'm just kind of in this you know, inevitable place that people end up when they get obsessed with all this is that too many cameras, too many lenses, extremely complex systems. And I can't keep buying stuff. So I started recombining and building uh, new cameras out of all the pieces and parts I was accumulating. Um, so I guess that's what's happened is I've slowly gone, you know, backward in time to, to making really simple devices out of old cameras and old lenses. That's what appeals to me, Franken cameras. Uh, mm -hmm. Other people are making a lot of cameras from scratch out of plastic and 3D printing and that sort of thing. But my favorite thing is still basically, it all boils down to adaptation. Um, so, you know, I'm connecting parts that never used to go together to make a, a new sort of camera and also to build new systems because uh, the stuff I like comes from all different you know everything from large format all the way down to, to small 35 millimeter film cameras and digital cameras I still use them too so mixing those parts together in, in new combinations is, is kind of what drives my experiments that's it uh, now the homemade com camera podcast is like a direct growth out of that uh, Graham Young and I met you know on the internet talking about our strange contraptions, uh, mostly through Flickr. And, uh, and then Graham had the idea of starting this podcast, approached me about it, and we just fired it up. And it's just about to be our one-year anniversary. We put out a show every two weeks on some aspect of how to build or modify cameras. And we include alternative processes, just basically anything out of the mainstream to do with uh, photography is what we're interested in. So your your background, I mean, we've not really uh, touched upon what, what you do when you're not taking photographs. I've, I've, I think um, you've you've got some kind of engineering background. Is that is that right? Uh, no, not really. I, I have a degree in the history of ideas, concentration in biology and anthropology. And that was a great preparation for my career, which has been uh, blacksmithing. I've spent <laughs> I've spent the last thirty years making um, mostly large botanical sculptures out of steel using nice. a mixture of traditional blacksmithing and modern fabrication, so MIG welding and all that sort of thing. And that's that's been my actual career. But a big part of that is photography because we uh, photographs of the process and of the finished products are how we get jobs. So documenting this whole process for the last thirty years has been a big part of how I make a living so it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting how you've, you, you've drawn quite a, a big distinction there between and you know when I suggest you might have been involved in engineering but no blacks blacks blacksmithing <laughs> and uh, you know I was thinking well it's just working with metals isn't it well actually no it's not is it it's uh, but I guess with um, well 
the reason why I, I say the engineering side of things is because when I've heard you talking, you know, you know a lot about metals, and uh, yeah, yeah. So that that's where I was thinking, perhaps you, you know, you're understanding the stresses and things like that. So well, I, I have, yeah, I have a lot of that practical knowledge, and and oddly, both sides of my family, most of my relatives were either engineers or artists, and mm-hmm. that's sort of a pet thing of mine is that the distinction between those two areas is greatly exaggerated. People are like sent down different paths, but really they're working on the same stuff. They're making things that are supposed to be, you know, sound and functional. <laughs> so it's not as different as, you know, we have these like, we treat artists and engineers as if they're from different planets, but mm. it's just, that's just, that's just a strange cultural foible. It isn't a very good way of looking at it. I've I've just got this this image now of you uh, make making a horseshoe and then think, and thinking oh I can just change this a little bit and turn it into a camera somehow by hitting it a bit ha- harder with the hammer. <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically the difference between engineering and art, right there. I can make a horseshoe. I don't know what to do with a horse though. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So um, these these Franken cameras. Um, so what, what could you give us a, a bit of an example of what, what would make up a Franken camera for you? Sure. Um, there are, I've been working on a lot of different ones, uh, but one that I kind of enjoy lately is a friend of mine mailed me a broken Hasselblad. And basically all the three parts, the lens, the body, and the film uh, transport mechanism just weren't talking to each, any, each other at all anymore, um, which can happen. And but I figured out that I could manipulate the different parts, the shutter at each end of the, you know, the shutter at the back and the mirror. And I could, I figured out how I could control those things independently um, and basically turn this camera back into a passive box. And this was an older film back with a crank. So the film advance still worked using the window instead of the mechanical advance. So, so I took that and then sort of made it work just as a dummy camera. And then I started putting different things on the front of it, um, different lenses that didn't belong on it and pinholes and things like that. And so it's it's just making a totally different kind of camera out of uh, parts that, you know, came from other cameras. And that would be, you know, one typical example. Um, uh, another one would be, I took an old, broken again I don't like ruining a good old camera so I look for ones that are sort of damaged beyond repair and I found a crown graphic that a friend, another friend gave me that was so moldy that you couldn't hold it up to your face anymore and <laughs> I stripped all the leather off and cleaned it down to the bare wood and nice. took away all the focusing mechanisms and then built a new focusing rail and a, and a set of movements that allows it to make much more extravagant movements than the old graphics so it's a, basically created a very lightweight field camera um, that takes all the, the graphic lens boards and stuff, such and all the graph lock film backs. Uh, so a lot of what I do is based on that kind of large format um, graph lock standard stuff because it's really easy to work with. So in the in the in the way that you're you're manipulating bodies and things, are you also um, attempting to use well I know you are actually you're using lenses that were never uh, intended to be used in the way that uh, you're now using them have you got any good examples of how you've used some interesting lenses in an interesting way yeah so 
Um, there's more bizarre examples, but the ones that have worked the best for me, that, the thing that I'm sort of zeroing in on now, are I like, I'm really looking for ways to use medium format lenses uh, on other cameras because a lot of times, well, here's an example. <clears throat> I have uh, a bunch of the 135 format SLRs, they pile up and I like using them a lot, but I can't keep buying a full set of lenses every time I get a different system camera. I don't, you know, I can't go out and buy a whole other set of lenses. So I want to look for ways to adapt. And a lot of, you know, a lot of single lens reflex cameras, you're very limited by the, um, they're designed to work with lenses at only one distance from the film. And if you try and put a lens from a camera that had a shorter distance, then you're not going to be able to get infinity focus uh, unless you use a special adapter, which has its own set of problems. So one way to deal with that is to use medium format lenses designed to be farther away from the film than any 135 millimeter. Uh, so an example is I use Pentax and Nikon film bodies for 135. I I have a hard time finding a, you know inexpensive longer lenses, like a good portrait lens, for instance. Um, but um, a Mamiya 645 80 millimeter lens, the 2.8, is quite small and compact for a medium format lens. And if you adapt that to a Pentax or a Nikon, it's almost a perfect portrait lens. I found one for $40, needed a little work, fixed it up, just needed a little lubrication in the, uh, in the helical. And uh, I can describe that. That was actually an interesting um, process. So a lot of people struggle with with helicals because if you take them apart, they're really hard to get back together right. You know, they, they can thread together in several wrong ways, which are more likely to be what happens than getting them back the way they were supposed to be. And then they just don't focus right. Well, my solution is not to take the helical apart. Instead, I take the glass out of the lens mm. and then work inside it's like surgery kind of reaching in from outside i get uh, a little bit of cleaning fluid in there and clean it out and then swab everything out as best i can and then get a little tiny bit of grease in there and work it basically you can do the whole thing without taking the helical apart and a lot of lenses you can do that uh, and it saves a lot of headaches uh, anyway i restored the, the lens to you know work great and now i've got a really good portrait lens that works on all my Pentax, all my Nikon. I could get adapters for other cameras and it also works on the Mamiya 645. So, and then there's actually other adapters we'll get into. So that that one lens system then all of a sudden can be used on a whole bunch of other systems and bodies. And, and so that's great. Uh, that's a really, and it's all, and I wanted to say that the main thing is that the image quality I was getting with 35 millimeter film and that lens was much better than I expected, much better than I've gotten from either Pentax or Nikon lenses. So that was a bit surprising, but really nice. Yeah, that is that is surprising. I mean, I'm just, just wondering, is it um, the that thing where you get uh, better sharpness in the center of a lens, and therefore using the medium format lens, you've got a larger center, so therefore you've got a, you're using the sweet spot of, of that lens. Yeah, definitely. Because when I use, say, a 45 millimeter Mamiya 645 lens on a Mamiya 645, it's definitely a little funky around the corners. You know, it's that lens isn't the greatest of their series. But if I put it on a Nikon, I'm only looking at the that center part, which is sharp and looks great. Mm. Yeah. 
have you ever had a go at doing some of the uh, I'm going to use the word funky now because we've started saying funky <laughs> so um, good, good. yeah um, have you had a go at using like a, a medium format lens or possibly even a large format lens on a uh, a 35mm SLR camera or or, or at least that that film to to give you like the the X pan effect uh, that that Johnny loves so much. Well, so what I did, I'm also deeply interested in those. I love Panorama, and I really wanted an X pan, but I couldn't afford it. Um, but I found a really good cheap solution. Um, there's there's a whole line of camera contraptions made by, <clears throat> I guess he's an English professor in Pittsburgh, but. It, it, these are called Mercury Works cameras, and I, I've been investigating those. I have a couple of them, and they're basically uh, it's sort of an infinitely complicated 3D printed set of plastic Legos that go together to make all sorts of cameras and adapters. Uh, and they're a lot of fun. And one of the things he's made is a kit to convert an RB67 roll film back, which fits on any Graflock back camera or on any RB67. He, it converts it into a 35 millimeter uh, uh, panoramic film back. So it uses the full width, almost the seven centimeters. You basically end up with the same exact format as an X-Pan. You get uh, 15 shots from a roll of 36 um, and with good spacing. And uh, because you're putting this behind medium format lenses, uh, they look great. They work really well. Now it has to be something that'll have a big enough image circle to cover that six by seven format, or a little bit smaller, you know, to cover that six by seven X pan version. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a. It's basically it cost me a total of about sixty dollars between the kit and buying an old RB sixty seven holder to get a back that I can put on a whole series of my cameras and with a whole series of different lenses um, and shoot that X-Pan format. It's great. What do you reckon to that, Johnny? I, I, I love it. Um, yeah, that, that sounds like a great solution. And I, I, it's funny because I've been, I've been messing around with exactly this sort of thing at the moment. Um, even it's, it, you mentioned uh, stripping a crown graphic. That's kind of the project I'm working on right now so that I can build a, um, a pano, you know, a lightweight, uh, panel field camera to shoot uh f you know four by five panoramic so yeah no it's i love stuff like this um and i i've done some similar things i mean the one i have i just pulled up some old pictures i had posted in the photography with classic lenses facebook group of um a old uh barrel lens an old tessar four by five barrel lens that i mounted into a um a, a, a lens an RB lens with the um, the basically the glass removed so that I just have the shutter left over. Cool. And I yeah, and I and I mounted that lens into there, and I, I used it to make um, uh, uh, pol Polaroid panos or not panos, but just Polaroids on my uh, RZ, and it works really good. I get really good results with it. So um, and it was a really fun experiment because I can just basically use this lens, you know, lens without any glass in it as a shutter and mount different lenses onto the RZ that way. And that's so, <clears throat> essentially it's functioning as an adapter as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just a glass adapter. So yep. um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And that's actually pretty much the only way I've ever used my RZ. I've never really used it as intended. <laughs> I've always just used it as either a way to shoot Polaroids or to mess around with uh, adapting other glass onto it. 
So That's yeah, great. I think it's I think it's a lot of this sort of stuff's a lot of fun. Yeah, and the the cool thing about the RB stuff is that then it also fits on your Crown Graphic or whatever. So yeah, no, I, well, I, I actually, hadn't thought of that. If, yeah, yeah, so it'll fit on a it'll fit on a four by five Crown Graphic. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm sorry, a two and a quarter by three and a quarter Crown Graphic. That's okay. the size that RB sixty seven fits on. Gotcha. Um, and I just found a Century Graphic in that size, two and a quarter by three and a quarter. Yeah, that's um, and you you're know, it's like a. a a little crown graphic made of plastic, yeah. but yeah, right. And you're and you're you've got your back fitting on the back of the uh, the the crown graphic. Yeah, RB sixty seven goes right on uh, two and a quarter by three and a quarter graph lock back. Oh wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah it's it, RBs. They just had decided they wanted to be you know universal. That was kind of what the seventies, you know, and that was yeah. like M forty two and all that was still a big thing. Um, and then when they got to the RZ, they bailed and, you know, went to the proprietary stuff that most people did. But that's right. a really great thing about the RB uh, backs. And they're they're plentiful. They're inexpensive. They work really well. They're all six by seven, but that's a good size. You know? Yeah, that's great. Ooh, new rabbit holes! New rabbit holes happening today. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah. well, you're making a proper Franken camera, and that's that's the real that's the real beginning because yeah when you start when you start using a whole camera just as a film back <laughs> yeah right <laughs> then you're, then you're then you're well on your way i like your um your rb lens conversion so is that a barrel lens where you're putting a front and rear element into that shutter or is it just on the front no well basically i have a photo of it i can i can share um it basically uh, it's taking an entire barrel lens and mounting it in front of the shutter mm-hmm. on an rz lens that has had the glass you know block pulled out um so it's it's the entire lens is sitting in front of the shutter well that's um, the easy that makes it a lot easier as long as you don't end up with vignetting um yeah no no vignetting and it's super easy i mean it's like I, i'm kind of the same approach as you i cannot i cannot disassemble a lens and put it back together correctly if i try to mess with the helical so i just don't go there mm-hmm. so i i just avoid that sort of thing entirely <laughs> and and only only uh, mess around with stuff where i can you know work with optical blocks at, as is or or remove them but but i don't i don't try to do anything with helicals they're just way beyond my skill set so i got one back together once on a on an argus c3 but so i couldn't tell if i ruined it or not because it was a terrible camera in the first place right (laughs) yeah yeah you you can't you pretty much can't go wrong there so (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i'm getting braver and braver about opening things up and tinkering with them but i I feel anything I care about, I'm very conservative because it's so easy to break things once you start taking them apart. Yeah, and I I think I've said this uh, many times in the course of this podcast is like I just I know my limits and I there's very little that I I will try to do certainly repair wise. I mean I'll have a go at something if there's no intention of it necessarily surviving, um, but <laughs> anything that's important I I'm not gonna mess with. Yeah, but the good I know I'll kill it. The good news, though, and I've heard you um, talking about this before. The good news is you can get away with a certain amount of cleaning and lubricating without taking things all the way apart. So if you can figure out how to protect the glass or get it out of the way. Um, So I've cleaned and lubricated shutters successfully without taking them apart. And 
the key is lubrication. Like if you clean it and and then stop there, it's all going to just seize up. Right. It'll work great for you know a few days or weeks, and then it'll all just seize up. But you ha- if you can get a little lubrication in there um, mm-hmm. after you clean it, then it's all you need to do. And I've fixed. You know, so buying old lenses or shutters that are on their last legs or appear to be in real trouble, they'll go cheaply. Yeah. Uh, but very often they just need a little encouragement and they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Have, have you ever tried messing around with individual elements of, of old lenses to see if you can actually get a, a workable image from them? I'm starting to play with that, but I haven't done a lot. Um, you know who's done really good stuff, though? If you if you follow this kind of thing on Flickr or Instagram, you'll run into someone named Sandeha Lynch from the UK. Have you run into him? Um, I have, actually. He's in the, um, the large format photography podcast group, funnily enough. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, he's done some really... Well, he's done great things on every level with building your own cameras and Franken cameras. He's made amazing wonderful cameras and he often removes elements from lenses and somehow they seem to work better after he's done it when he takes <laughs> pictures <laughs> i'm not sure how he's doing that but yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 something i've always quite I quite fancied having a having to go at. but then i'd, I'd realize well i've got no method of actually supporting these these elements into something else and how do you judge the the distances that they all need to be uh apart from each other plus you know you some are concave some are convex and there's i i'm, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some kind of running order for for these i just wonder how on earth you actually work those things out well i actually found a great book that i'm starting my way through um but this i highly recommend it's a it's it's been published for many years by Dover Books. It's an old classic, Basic Optics and Optical Instruments, revised edition, mm. prepared by the Naval Education and Training Program Development Center. So this is an old-fashioned textbook to, to get Navy op- optical engineers you know, trained and up to speed kind of quickly. So it's very clear and to the point. It's full of technical stuff that's over my head, but it has a lot of useful information and pictures and it kind of gets you going on not just the theory but the practice of, of making optical equipment it's pretty cool so, so that's going to be of use in in the battlefield i assume that you know so you, you your lenses are broken on your optics for whatever it is that you can go ahead and try and uh, put some put some together again and actually make something that works is that is that the case yeah this is naval stuff too so what they're trying they're making range finders not to take someone's photograph, but to blow them to smithereens, at, you know, yeah, far, yeah, far away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same idea. And, you know, the if you think a dollar a shot is expensive, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but it's good. Um, it's, it's a little old fashioned, which makes it more useful, I think, because, you know, that's that's kind of the level of stuff that I can work with. Modern equipment is often kind of, you know, impossible to take apart and, yeah. and work on. There's two other books while we're talking about it that are really useful if you want to do this kind of thing. The first one is called Adventures with Pinhole and Homemade Cameras by John Evans. It's a great book, but it's not just pinhole. It covers every kind of camera, and it's filled with uh, examples of really cool homemade and, and, and home-engineered cameras. But it also has a whole end section with really useful tables and charts uh, to, to figure out everything you might need to figure out about things like 
uh, image circle and optimum pinhole size and even some stuff on lensing and uh, how to make lenses from scratch, how to make lenses out of old junk. Uh, it's just full of great stuff. It's amazing how much is in here. And it goes back through time with all kinds of historical things. It has current photographers. It has a It's amazing how much is in there. I keep looking at that book over and over. And then another one similar covering similar territory, but all different examples is uh, called Experimental Photography, a Handbook of Techniques published by Thames and Hudson. And it's a, it's a bunch of different people uh, wrote it. It's uh, you know, edited by a set of people. Uh, and they're both like kind of all you need to get going, building all sorts of stuff. And they, they also, the second book also includes a lot more about alternative process. Um, mm, so that's excellent. another thing that I'm kind of excited about is we talk, you guys talk about lenses a lot and it, and that's a whole subject that I love, but a simple thing to do is often just to change the, the format. Um, and that's one of the things I really like about the graph lock standard is that with different roll film holders, you can keep the same lens and change your field of view by changing mm -hmm. the film back, um, yeah. which is really yeah. useful. Yeah. I, I want to uh, just, you mentioned something that just um, uh, triggered something. And you, you talked about image circle there and about measuring image circle. And I might be just dropping you on the spot here, so you might you may not know the answer to it, but hopefully you do. Um, and it's 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 actually how do you determine the the image circle of of a lens now? with some of the smaller lenses that you can put in front of a digital camera it's very easy to work out the image circle because you'll you'll get vignetting straight away um, but when you're looking at a larger format lens and a different obviously large format is a very wide term um, and so one large format lens won't give the coverage on, on on another format so to speak so do you know if there's a way that if you get this this random lens you you don't really know what you've what you're looking at you may have a focal length for it um, but would you know how you could actually test the or ascertain the image circle without actually mounting it on the camera and, and trying it yeah uh, i've been so there are um there are tables and, and sources of this information especially for large format and and large format like medium format lenses so that stuff is available from tables uh, for the most part. But first of all, you need to define image circle. And from the point of view of photography, what matters is the size of the image circle when you're focused at infinity, because that's the smallest useful image circle when the, the, the lens and the film are at their closest to each other. Then as you move the lens farther away, focusing on closer objects, the image circle gets bigger and bigger. So for, so for instance, you could shoot large format with a an M42 lens if you just get it far enough away so that the cone of light will cover the film. Um, so that's a trick you can use. You can use lenses that are too small of an image circle as long as you don't focus on infinity um, for close-up work. And that, that's actually a lot of fun. So I've been putting an old Zeiss 35 millimeter, a 135 lens on this Hasselblad and shooting on six by six. And yeah, I just have to get close to the subject, but it's a beautiful uh, result. Um, so what you're asking is how to test. The way I test is the simple method. I'll put a lens in front of a big piece of ground glass. So I'll use a large format uh, rail camera 
and I'll, and I'll actually just look at the image circle, assuming it's not so big that you know it's even bigger than four by five. Um, I'm looking for lenses that are too big, and then I'll need an even bigger camera. But you can see pretty well on the ground glass uh, if the coverage is you know clear right out to the corners. Um, and if it's not, if it's a smaller lens, when you focus at infinity, you'll see that you know a circle on the on the ground glass. Um, that's the simplest direct method. Um, there are so many different kinds of lenses. Some lenses are, you know, a large format lens is going to project based entirely on the distance it is away from the film. Now, with lenses that have a built-in helical, like for a single lens reflex camera, then it's much more limited because you can't just move the lens, you know, indefinitely. The helical limits its travel. Um, unless you start using extension tubes and you know bellows and all that. So it's tricky with those. I don't have, uh, I've tr I got my, uh, my Cambo rail camera with the standards touching each other and they're still, and even with bag bellows and the standards touching each other, it's still not close enough yeah. to use 40 mil, you know, M42 or any of the SLR lenses. So I need to actually make a device for that. Um, and that's something I've been thinking about doing is just making a device for both measuring image circles and finding the uh, point of infinity focus and i'd like this device which will look something like a rail camera to have a readout so i can just read in fractions of a millimeter exactly what the distance is between the lens and the film mm -hmm. plane that would be super useful yeah yeah definitely well um, I was going to say th thank you for answering my large format question there because uh, that's uh, particularly useful for me because I've got a large format lens uh, from uh, Linden of Londinian cameras I mentioned a, a, a few episodes back and I haven't actually, I still haven't actually worked out uh, the image circle so uh, what is what is the lens good question <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have any markings on it well it, it does it's uh, it's by eldest brothers um, it's a barrel lens, and uh, have I got any? I think I did. I, I worked out the focal length. I think um, because I don't think. Yeah, or is it? I'm just magnifying it now. Just just taking a look. Well, get it to focus on in something in, you know infinitely far away, like I don't know, as far away as you can see. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I I can't do that there now while while we're speaking, but it's easy enough to work out the focal the, the, the focal length. Go um, ahead, we'll, we'll wait, Simon. Yeah, yeah. Well, for, for, for the sake of our listeners, um, I wait, I'm, not, I'm not going to do that just 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 now. But uh, but no, I think I, I will. I'm just going to have to um, put it onto a lens board and just put it onto a camera and just just see if it illuminates the corners. Really, that's that's. So, um, Simon, just really quick, you do realize we are the, this is the classic lenses podcast and not the large. <laughs> format yeah. film photography podcast. I just yeah. want to make sure you, you yeah. you're, you're clear on which podcast we're on today. Simon. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. all good. I mean, I'm, I'm fine either way. So well, it's a, it's a classic lens. That's certainly a classic yeah. lens. Yeah, it's absolutely it is. Well, absolutely. Well, I was that, there was two two reasons why I wanted to talk about image circles, and that was one of them. So we'll move swiftly on from that one. Um, we'll leave, and we'll, I think we'll, if you get some tape and a toilet paper tube, you can probably adapt that to one of your digital cameras no problem oh sure. I've, I've i've got i've got lots of ways to put this one on there but th this is the the other part of image circles um and that i want to talk about is linked with projection lenses um because we we've had quite a few uh, emails come in and requests to talk about projection lenses and we we've we've rarely done it um 
and I've, my experience of projection lenses, you, you'll you'll pick them up, pick one up, and sometimes they'll you can uh, mount them relatively simply. And I think I'm going to let you talk about methods of mounting um, projection lenses. Um, but sometimes they can be very difficult. Sometimes they, they seem that they have to go incredibly close to the sensor in such a way that you can't actually mount the things because they, they're always too far away mm -hmm. um, and then you also get problems such as um, say if you there are quite a few let's say 25 millimeter really really fast 25 millimeter lenses and you put them onto a full frame camera and you, you just end up with this tiny little image circle in in, in the center um, so um, I'm just wondering if you want to if you have a, want to have a chat about different types of projection lens and uh, and how, how to mount them Mm, I, I can't help you on specifics because I haven't done it, but I do have a friend I can ask. However, I have noticed, um, so I found a source of really useful gadgets for playing with uh, abnormal adaptation, and it's a company called RAF Camera yeah. in Moscow. Yep. Oh. And they make machined aluminum, basically little screw thread connectors of various kinds, and, and I noticed among them, they have a whole bunch designed for mounting old Russian projection lenses onto other kinds of cameras. So go look at RAF camera. They may have something that would work, you know, right off the shelf. And the other thing is, you know, if you, if you, if you haven't, if it's got to be super close to the film plane, then you're in trouble. Like that's just hard, you know, but if you have any room at all to fit in some kind of adapter, then just a little threaded connector um, that, so that, so for instance, you could get an M65 threaded connector with various different bayonet mounts from this source, or you could make it yourself. Um, or you, you know, so you, for instance, buy an adapter for your camera. So if you're using say a Fuji, X camera, you can get a Fuji X adapter for some other lens that has a big diameter and some sort of threaded connector. So an M42 would be an example. And then you can get a disc that will screw into that and then cut a hole in it that matches the base of your of your lens. So I usually go to M65 just because it's a really big diameter and that way it can accommodate bigger lenses. Um, and you can get an M65 helicals from Chinese sources. So you know, if you have room to, to add in focusing, then you can use that. So basically, I'm kind of switching all that medium and large formats adapting when I'm putting them on smaller hand cameras to these M65 uh, standard so that I can just switch lenses around between different cameras and that, and that sort of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, yeah. it, it does. It does. I mean, when I've... There's... There, is, there seems to be easy easy projection lenses to adapt and hard ones um, and it's the only thing that really makes one easier or hard is just literally the kind of helicoid that you have and will it fit inside it mm -hmm. um, I mean I don't do anything as sophisticated as you do with uh, these these discs uh, that, that you use there because I'll, I'll usually get some foam uh, that's been uh, some kind of packing foam is what I tend to use and, and um, hopefully I've got a, a, a Helicoid with a with a wide enough diameter throat that the that the projection lens will go into, and then I'll just use the packing foam and a bit of tape and uh, all sorts of things just to just to pack out um, so that it will actually go into the into the throat of the helicoid and and sit there and hopefully relatively 
um, well aligned. Um, yeah, I've I've done that, it, yeah. and it's a good place to start. Um, but the problem is, it's hard to reproduce. Like <laughs> when you inevitably take all that apart to put it on some other camera, you know, there's all this fussing that you have to go back into um, each time you do that to get it shimmed out just right for infinity or whatever you're trying to do. Um, well, so yeah. it's nice to have some kind of standard hardware that you use as a basis. Um, yeah, I, I totally yeah. agree. I and mean, I've got several uh, projection lenses, which I've, I've, I really enjoy using proje projection lenses, but it, it just requires that much effort to actually make one of them work. And as you say, if it's not standardized, then you've got to do something slightly different for the next one. And they're mm -hmm. thinking, oh, I'm just going to put a normal lens on and use that instead. Right. Yeah. So that that's kind of where my efforts are going is to make this all convenient because it's fun just playing. Um, but then when I, I like to go out into kind of, I like to get into the mountains or the woods or by the seaside in bad weather. You know, I want to have stuff that can hold up to a little abuse. So the, the foam and tape and cardboard experiments are a great place to start, but then, you know, they don't hold up. Um, and one one of the areas that I, I just touched on there, which is can be a problem when when you're doing these projection lenses, certainly the way that I do it, um, it but it's it's really important if you if you want something some kind of consistent image at least is is to get the lens completely perpendicular to the to the sensor uh, or film plane, whichever you're using. And and the method I use it, it can be a little bit difficult. So you can end up with a a lens that's off axis. Um, so you, you sometimes end up with like a, a, a tilt effect, uh, mm -hmm. whether, you, whether you like it or not. But that's actually, um, I know that's that's an area that interests you um, doing it deliberately, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And um, and I'm always trying to sort of shrink this stuff down. Um, I mean, you can buy tilt shift lenses and tilt shift adapters, which I should try someday. Um, but for me, it's just easier to, to go up in format size. So it pushes you into working with film to, to use medium or large format because once you get enough distance between the lens and the film then it's easy to build homemade stuff you know the problem is with little tiny APS-C and, and full frame sensors everything has to be such close quarters that, mm -hmm. that it just requires a lot of precision and you can get there it's just fussy and it's more work um, so I'm that pushes me towards larger format but I can't afford a giant medium format digital sensor. So this leads to the other thing I was hoping to talk about today, which is if you, if you set up a camera with a small sensor so that you can slide it back and forth and up and down in front of a lens with a big image circle, you can then stitch together a series of shots. And if, as long as your subject is relatively you know, placid and stationary, <laughs> you can stitch together a series of shots to make a really high resolution image digitally shot through, you know, a medium format uh, or large format lens. And so that's re that's really fun. So just to clarify that, you're, you're talking about effectively a lens that is stationary. Exactly. And, and, you, and therefore you move the, the digital back around the image circle of the lens. Exactly. And that, and the advantage, there are a couple of advantages of that. So people, you know, go through a lot of trouble to take panoramics by rotating a camera and trying to get it right over that exact point, you know, the nodal point of the lens so that, but you still, when you move the, when you move the cam, the whole camera, you're changing the relationship between the film plane and what you're photographing. And you're changing the angle 
a view of the lens and all those things add another. And so digital software can fudge it and make it so you don't notice that. But that's a lot of digital processing and it's using the camera in a different way. Whereas these devices, um, so I stayed up all one night when I had this idea and, and drew plans to create this, this device before I knew that it already existed and you could just mail away to China for one. But, um, you know, it took me until early morning to realize that I should just Google it. <laughs> I found out there were all these people already doing this, mostly homemade, homebrew versions. Um, but there's a particular commercially made one from Photodiox, and, and that's called, it has a wonderful name. It's called a Visilex Rhino Cam. I have no idea why. And what it is, is it's an aluminum, uh, machined aluminum, I don't know how to describe it. It's a slider, and it has on the front, there are various different uh, lens bayonets available. I chose Mamiya 645 because they make great lenses that don't cost very much. And the other side, you can attach uh, various different cameras, and they make them for Sony and Fuji and some of the other kind of big name mirrorless cameras because you, you want that. Uh, mirrorless is ideal. You, they do make some for DSLRs, but a live view, looking at live view on, the, on a little screen is nowhere near as good as a good EVF for this. You know, So you mount your digital camera to the back. The lens, the whole thing sits on a tripod. So the lens stays still, and then you slide the camera, and you're basically just lining up little dots. One dot, two dot, three dot. And if you do that, you can take up to eight frames, pretty much covering the same field of view as the native 645. Uh, so, and there is also a it also has a panoramic configuration where you shoot six frames with the camera in landscape mode, and you get a long, narrow panoramic view that's very similar to some of the medium format panoramic, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, aspect ratios. So it's a, it's, it's a really nice, useful, high resolution digital image shot through an inexpensive medium format lens. And because you're using, you're, you're not changing your aperture or shutter speed, you're not moving the lens, there are just, it just gives the computer much less work to do to get a really good quality image. Uh, sort yeah. of like a you know normal photo and as long as like even moving elements are fine as long as they stay within their frame so like if you're shooting a distant scene and there's like a, a seaplane and a boat and a kayaker and all that as long as that you take the pictures quicker than they move from one frame to the next that's fine the only issue really is you know fast moving objects which will appear in, in several different parts of the picture <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just I don't know if you've got the have you got this up on your screen at the moment Johnny well, uh, which one's that this the uh, this, uh, Rhino yeah so I'll, I'll just drop, I'll send you a link as we're talking um, I, again, I can go right through it yeah because okay. uh, it is in fact I've just sent you a link now um, this... right so there's a ground glass screen for composing as well so when you yeah. slide it all the way one way you can look right. through the whole lens at once and get your composition straight but you can focus with the digital camera looking at a very small detailed part of the scene and get really crisp focus. So that's mm -hmm. another cool feat. It's like using a ground glass, but you're moving yeah. the camera around instead of your eye. Yeah. yeah. This 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 yeah. thing is is every bit as weird as it sounds. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there's variations of these have been around for quite a while 
uh, for large format cameras, um, you know, putting digitals on the back. So sure. it's, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's like, the, the, yeah, it, they're, they're, it's an interesting thing. And I mean, it's, it's, it's been around a while. So the, it, this sort of stuff is very doable. If sure. You want and to with do a it. large, with a large format camera, you can use the movements of the rear standard to get yeah, the same exactly. effect. Yeah. But the nice thing about this device is that it's squished so tight that I can yeah. use the, the extremely shallow uh, flangeback distance of a Fuji camera with this medium yeah. format lens. And it, it, it's uh, very compact. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, I, you see quite a lot of, um, or quite often you see these bokeh panoramas uh, where they, they're doing the method that uh, this eliminates, if you like, where you're taking lots of shots and you stitch, stitch them together and you end up with a very, very narrow depth of field. Um, and you also get a certain amount of distortion in in the image as well. It never, it never. There's, some, there's something that just doesn't look quite right about it, but it's also quite appealing at the same time as well. If if you if you get it right, um, but uh, no, I, I think that's a that's a really really interesting way of doing things. And as, as I say, you've got the ground glass screen that you just slide in, so you see the whole image, and then yeah, you just you just move your camera around to. To get all the uh, the shots to give you yeah. the, the full effect of a med of a medium format shot, and it's pretty quick. Uh, you can slide from dot to dot in a second or two. So depending on how steady your hands are, you could shoot quite fast. Um, you know, if you do have some moving things in the in the frame. The other thing that's cool about it is that it, it's all just screws together in different parts. So you could take the you know the Mamiya six four five adapter off or the camera adapter off and replace them. They sell some options, but you can also certainly create your own mount. For, so if you wanted to put, you know, a large format lens or a bigger medium format lens on this, you could easily do it. Um, it's, it's just a little tinkering. Mm. Yeah. No, this is uh, it's. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite fascinated by this. So uh, yeah, be, I'm going to bookmark that page, and we'll. Uh, in fact, that's something to say. All that you, but you've you've. Uh, told us about several books and uh, and there's this and I think that we'll put all of these uh, links uh, in in the show notes which will be um, which you'll be able yeah. to find in our not in the Facebook group as we put them in our on our main page aren't we Johnny yes they will you will find all the all all this good goodness in the show notes uh, for today's podcast which will be at uh, classiclensespodcast.com yeah great yeah Okay, um, I think that I, I, right at the top of the show, you talked about some, you know, your uh, interest in using uh, classic lenses uh, with with your Fuji, uh, but we never really touched upon that. And I'm I'm just curious about uh, which ones, which lenses got you going? Because uh, as you said, like you you fell down that rabbit hole like many of us did. And I'm just wondering if there were any particular lenses that you used that triggered you off in on down down that path that you're thinking oh this is really interesting and i want to know more and i want more well really it just was walking around in a flea market some years ago and there was a there was a pentax k1000 with a 50 millimeter 1.7 lens on it and it was you know 25 dollars or something <laughs> <laughs> and i thought well, that looks fun and at first i just wanted the lens uh and i knew i could adapt it to to the fuji camera that i'd started using um, but then, you know, the guy sort of threw in the body, so that went home with me, and, and now that's a camera I use a lot. But that lens, you know, those 50s are amazing when you stick them in front of a, of a digital sensor. They're, they're almost all good, no matter who made it. And uh, 
and it's also a it's also a focal length that I couldn't really afford in Fuji. You know, the Fuji fifty six millimeter lens is a really expensive object. Yeah, and <laughs> it, and uh, this was you know twenty bucks or whatever. And I don't know, I had as much fun with it as I think, or maybe even more fun than I would have had uh, with the expensive version. And uh, anyway, so that that started it, and I started accumulating some Pentax stuff once I had that adapter but it's gotten gone sideways because once people found out about my little addiction they started giving me photo gear and the problem is you know I had tried to limit myself to one or two systems but when you get a free camera then you know one thing leads to another and pretty soon now I'm now I'm adapting uh, you know pretty much almost every common brand of lens uh, I've got some example of and some of the weird ones are starting to creep in as well. So Olympus and Pentax and Nikon and Minolta and some of the Russians and some of the German, East German stuff starting to come in now. <laughs> it's, it's all, yeah, the door opened. Yeah. So have you got any any favorite lenses in particular things that you might use on a certain occasion, uh, lenses that you just you just wouldn't want to be without? I think I'm most kind of been lately most excited by the M645 lenses because I, they just seem to do so much on so many different cameras for low price. And the ones I've liked the best are the 55 2.8, which is a really, really nice lens. And it works out as a useful focal length on almost any format, you know, that you can use it on. So from M645, it's kind of like a 35 millimeter field of view, you know, so real handy. Um, and then when you obviously when you put it on a a, a regular film 35 millimeter camera then it's uh, you know just a, a good close normal lens and then on the APS-C it's a perfect portrait lens so it's kind of super useful and it's not very big I like them because they're small the 645 size is compacted they don't feel too big on a, a sort of normal camera body and then the um, the 80 millimeter macro it's an F4 macro for the M645. That's also a surprisingly cheap lens. Very, very sharp. It has a floating element. It, it works really well close and even for, you know, infinity landscape shots. A lot of macro lenses are a little disappointing at, uh, at landscape distances, but this one's great. And, uh, and it stands up to these insane 100 megapixel uh, shift stitch things that I've been doing with, with the RhinoCam. And so the resolution is tremendous. Um, and then the 80 millimeter 2.8, that's another M645 lens that I really like. It's not as, uh, it's not supposedly as good as their, as their 1.7, you know, that costs a lot of money. Uh, but, you know, I got mine for $40 and it's very small. It's, it's the size of an SLR lens. It's really not a problem at all to use on any of these cameras. So those are really top favorites. Um, you know, other than that, I think it's, I don't even, I don't even think it has to do with any particular brand, really, because as Johnny always points out, you it just depends on what kind of film or what kind of sensor you're putting the lens in front of. So I can't really generalize, you know, about what, which ones are good or which ones are bad. It just depends on what you're what you're putting it in front of. Um, but I tend to like older lenses. So my other tip-top favorites are 1950s Voigtlander Color Scope R medium format folding camera lenses okay little teeny tiny tiny little lenses like the size of a locket mm -hmm. um, they're basically a four you know like a tessar style lens with 
with just four, I guess it's four elements and what, two or three groups, I never remember, but that lens is those color scope bars that I have a couple of old um, uh, Voigtlander folding cameras that I use all the time, they are amazing. I mean, they're, yeah. they're better than the best Zeiss Tessars that I have even on a Roloflex, I and mean, they're just wonderful. Just wonderful contrast, wonderful color. I I don't I can't find anything wrong with them. Um, I don't know why they went out of style. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess because they don't work on a single lens reflex camera. Maybe that must be about it, really. Although they do, in a sense, because you know Voigtlander has been uh, the the names was taken by Cosina, and they're making some quite good lenses. Some of them with some of the old formulations too. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I I I've got a whole. Um... I have like a whole uh, project box <laughs> full of lenses like this that I've I've pulled off of various dead cameras, and what I've I've done with them is um, basically mounted them up into M42 body caps, and then from there I can put them on a helicoid and extension tubes if necessary, or even a you know bellows unit, and put them on basically any camera, and they do work amazingly well. And I, I agree with you that the color scope bars are from that era are just incredible for what they are able to do, what they're mm -hmm. able to produce. So, yep. it, yeah. And I mean, you can, a lot of, a lot of times you can find these on, you know, otherwise dead old folding cameras where everything is trashed except for the lens. Yeah. Um, if the, especially it, if the body is squished, like you'll never get yeah, it back, you know? Yeah. And they, they yeah. just literally unscrew with a lens spanner right off the front board. And now you've got mm -hmm. this lens that's super, super easy to, um, to to adapt on other things, um, and I actually right. have a yeah. yeah. I dropped a in our in our in our chat notes. I dropped in um, uh, one of the adapt adaptations I made like this. Uh, I, I actually have a, a a Facebook group called VPKX that I've had for ages that I don't really keep active anymore. But it was about doing exactly that kind of thing um, about just like remounting, you know, folding camera lenses to make them interchangeable on other mounts. Um, yeah. And it's, it's super easy to do. And I've got a little diagram in there how to do it. I can I can share that in our notes too for the for the episode today. Right, and you'll find the only limitation, I mean, it's nice because they're long flangeback distances. So there's, yeah. like, there's always, that's not a problem. The only limitation is that you basically are stuck to a range of about 75 millimeter to 105 millimeter. Between right. The, the yeah. normal six by six lens and the normal six by nine lens. But they're still really, uh, pretty nice focal lengths to work with. I mean, they basically, they're portrait lenses and they're quite yeah. handy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I also love using them on the original camera. Uh, they, they're great with, with medium format film. And yeah. Those, those cameras are wonderful. The pocket size folders are, uh, they're, they're probably my very favorite yeah. cameras it's... because they, they <laughs> just do so much more than I ever expected them to. Like <laughs> I thought they'd be a joke, and then I keep get, taking my favorite pictures with them, and it's like oh, something's wrong here. <laughs> and they're and they're and they're cheap. I mean, you can find these things for very little money, um, and you know, one twenty film is readily available. And now you've got a gigantic six by nine or six by seven or six by six negative or a six four five negative even, which is gonna is gonna be a big piece of film compared to even thirty five millimeter. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very much I, this comes up a lot at, at at the shop. I'm talking to people who have never who maybe have shot 35 millimeter and they want to get into medium format. And the question is, well, what's the easiest way to get into medium format? Because it seems, I think it seems intimidating for a lot of people who have shot 35 millimeter because the cameras just look different. 
mm-hmm. they don't function the same way. So, um, so I, I have that conversation a lot, and I either suggest a um, a simple TLR, like especially a, a a Yashica in most cases, because they're you can still find them cheap, um, mm-hmm. or a or a simple folder, um, any simple folding camera, and those are going to be even cheaper. And, and they will really produce amazing results. So I, I, I feel like it's the easiest pathway into larger than 35 millimeter photography. Yeah, and I think that alongside those, the, um, the, sm- the small Graflex two and a quarter, oh, three yeah. and a quarter, that, I mean, I've just got hold of my first one, but I've been using a Mercury a homemade uh, 3D printed version of that for a while. And wow. then you have all the formats in one camera. So yeah. then you can go from six four five to six by nine or even sometimes even a little wider. I think some of the Chinese backs will actually expand out back from the camera and, and hmm. let you do panoramic. I'm not sure whether you can do it without vignetting unless you're using a, a four by five camera, but yeah. you can you can get really you can get all sorts of formats with just that one camera. Um, and yeah. that idea, which is that let's say you have, I don't know, uh, let's say you have a mm, 75 or an 80 millimeter medium format lens that will cover six by nine, you can basically just change the film back to go from kind of portrait size to to landscape. It's sure. the same yeah. lens, but same you're, lens. Just, you're just <laughs> changing the shape and size of the film. And that's really a lot of fun. Yeah. Crop factor is, you know, it's you're just using the the basically crop factor, which I think people are familiar with, certainly in the digital camera world, the mirrorless world. They sure. think about, you know, uh Micro Four Thirds versus APS-C versus full frame. It's the same idea, just with uh, essentially a film camera. You do exact, you accomplish exactly the same thing. And one of the reasons that I like find that really exciting is I really actually love just true normal focal lengths. So, mm-hmm. it, but this gives you a way to get some range, sort of from a wide angle to a close up kind of feel with with one normal lens. So you're not changing the compression. You're not changing the feeling of the lens at all. You're just yeah. changing how much of the world that you're capturing. And yeah. that that really appeals. So you can go out in the field with two or three loaded film holders and the camera with a lens on it and you're just going to change the film backs around instead of instead of changing lenses. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I think basically for me, homemade camera is really mostly at base, a kind of extreme extension of the idea of adapting lenses. It's just taking that as far as you can. Yeah. Well, I think this might be a, a good time to go through some of our emails. Was I think uh, having you on here, Nick? Uh, perhaps you might want to join in and uh, answering some of the, some of the questions that we're going to get uh, put to us. Do you fancy that, Nick? Oh, sure. Okay. Well, this is where I, I, I cue uh, Johnny in now uh, for some All right. Uh, well, why don't we take it from, I think I have these in order here. Uh, I do have them in order. Okay. So we want to take it from the top. Um, emails received this week. Uh, and the first one is from Ian Fleming. And uh, topic is Ilford 3200, Simon, Johnny, and Carl. I shoot. Uh, I shoot it at 3200 in my 1930s roller cord and develop in Kodak X-Tall 1 to 1 with times from Massive Dev. It works very well, in my opinion. Ian Fleming. I think Ian is is referring here to 
Carl's was this not Carl's question about how to shoot thirty two hundred film? Yeah, I would touched on it as well. But so I've got a I've got a couple of rolls of uh, okay. of Ilford as well, and uh, I can remember you saying don't let. Or I think I I think you said about not letting Rodinol get anywhere near it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I just from my own personal experience, Rodinol is not really a high speed developer, and. Delta 3200 really isn't a 3200 speed film so you add those things all together and I don't find it to be a particularly good combination um, it'll work I just think it I, I've always got really thin results from it even running it at 1600 or slower so um, but no it's I think it's a good it's a good uh, it's a great film probably for more for other developers if you really want to run it at, at 3200. Well, I met. I think I mentioned this last week, but I'd met in at the photography show last last week, and he was walking around with his his old roller cord, and it just it just seemed quite incongruous, really, to have, for him to have uh, Ilford thirty two hundred in a nineteen thirties camera, um, but he was working well. So uh, yeah, well done. What yeah. can I say? Yeah, well, I've, I have a comment about that. So what I've recently learned about the really fast films, uh, thirty two hundred, sixteen hundred, is that they don't like to be underexposed yeah. and it's really it's tempting to use them in low light and then you're tempted to underexpose like that's right. a common problem and they just hate it They're, they yeah. get a thin negative you've got sort of like that extra ISO is actually there so that you can overexpose the image right. and get a, get a really strong right. strong <laughs> result and I'm going to say that I have an old Roly uh, TLR that a, f a friend gave me it was a, a wonderful wonderful surprise but it like most old cameras its shutters run slow so the mm. top speed on the camera is probably 450 for you know it's not even 500 and that is also a bit of a problem with really fast film i guess you could have an nd filter that you could stick in yeah front of it. well the other the other challenge is um with a roller cord you figure oh i have a 3200 speed film i could shoot low light well you just can't see anything through a roller cord in low oh, yeah, light right. so they're yeah. just i mean yeah. it's a dim viewfinder to begin right. with so yeah, it's, it's focus yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly i don't know if the roller cord has it but there is a sports finder on the roller flex so yeah yeah, it, no, that that those work really well actually. I've I've, mm -hmm. I've used mine quite a bit on the Roller Flex, and they're they're really good. So yep. that is definitely an option. Yeah. I've I've got a, a later uh, Roller Cord, but that that definitely has a, a sports finder. I find that really an an, an interesting term to describe where um, uh, you know, the hole in the uh, the front of the camera that you look through is is a sports finder. But uh, well, yeah. it put it put yeah. things right way round. And you can point your head yeah. at the at the uh, you know person who's hurtling by at, at the Olympic racetrack or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. All right. Shall we do uh, question yeah. number two? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we have an email from Peter Schaefer, and uh, his subject is "Hi, a thought." Uh, and Peter says, "Hello. Recently discovered your podcast through a mention on CasualPhotoFile.com, and have been enjoying it since. Uh, I know you focus naturally." Your focus naturally is on lenses for interchangeable lens cameras. But two of my favorite lenses are permanently attached to their camera bodies the Sonar 40mm f2.8 on my Rolly 35S and the G Rocor 28 f3.5 on my Minolta TC1. The latter is also available in Leica Thread Mount. I was wondering if maybe a topic for a podcast are these classic lenses permanently attached to bodies? Uh, cheers, Peter Schaefer, and you can you can find Peter's uh, website at uh, hookstrapped.com 
which is a hook h-o-o-k-s-t-r-a-p-p-e-d.com which i am looking forward to checking that out um i it's you know this is this is true we have not really done an episode specifically on uh classic lens i guess we would call them classic lens point and shoot cameras uh, which I would certainly be up for 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 doing such a thing because I, I use those quite frequently. Myself. So this is a question really that's relevant to the Franken camera idea. So you're going to surgically remove the lens. <laughs> certainly, from, yes. <laughs> from the camera it belongs on and then attach it to some sort of adapter contraption. It seems yeah. like a perfectly reasonable idea to me. It, there are sometimes problems though. I have one of those little Lomo 40 millimeter 2.8 lenses. Yeah. Uh, and it's got a shutter, it's got aperture, it's got everything, but you have to trigger the shutter from inside the camera, which is very awkward. Yeah. So you need to figure out how to put a, a hole in your camera and then put a, a light proof connection to a stick that you can poke this little <laughs> shutter release inside <laughs> the camera. So, you know, it could be a problem. Uh, yeah. This, I mean, this is this is always going to be one of those those things. But I, I'm I'm wondering actually if Peter is suggesting that he's willing to have his lenses removed uh, from his favourite cameras, um, so we can put them in front of um, uh, Carl or my Sony uh, and uh, to check out their characteristics. But um, let's let's make the assumption that he doesn't want us to do that. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, and and this this then comes down to the other. Uh, dilemma that we we, we, we touch upon uh, in this in this podcast and and that's about how you actually judge a lens and of course none of these lenses and very few of the lenses that we ever talk about were ever designed to be uh, to work with a digital sensor and of course different yeah. digital sensors will behave differently than than others um, so really all you can do is 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 talk about your own experiences with these lenses with with film and then it gets that even that gets difficult as well because the, some of these lenses are going to show more of their characteristics on certain types of film as well aren't they compared to compared to another so sure. it's it's a it's a tough one i mean how would you go about actually talking about these lenses because i i guess what i'm saying is i wouldn't be able to talk about these lenses uh, but johnny uh, you've 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 got some experience on these i mean would you have the ability to be able to talk about the difference between one of these lenses and another well, I I think so, but only in relation to how they perform on the original cameras. You, you yes. know what I mean? I, right. I, 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 I other than ripping apart a Rolly thirty five um, <laughs> or a TC one, I'm, look, one, I'm looking at my Rolly thirty five right now, and there's no way I'm going to cut it up. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. I mean, I I can I can speak to it in relation to. Uh, other cameras that are 35 millimeter fixed lens i mean i've uh, you know one of my favorite adaptations is um taking the lens from the vivitar ultra wide and slim which i which i cut literally cut off the camera body and mounted into a body cap and i use that on my uh, uh where's i'm trying to look on my shelf here i i use it on my L as a basically a point and shoot 24 millimeter wide angle and it works pretty well. I mean, it certainly w is more pleasing in a way than the, the Vivitar Ultra Wide and Slim, which I know it has a cult following, but it's a freaking horrible camera. Um, but part of the charm is that the camera is so bad that it, it it gives a very rough look to the image. And honestly, that when you take that lens off the camera and put it on a real camera, it's not quite as interesting. It just looks kind of bad. Um, so I, 
I've done I've done some of those adaptations where it's really more of a call them like a cheap point and shoot thirty five millimeter camera, um, which is super doable. But I don't I don't know that I would want to take something out of a really nice camera and just destroy it permanently unless it was already dead. Yeah, I'm just I'm just wondering, Nick, are you are you building the camera as we're talking? (laughs) No, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to get the. the lens out of the Rolly 35 <laughs> and, and looking <laughs> looking at it from the inside it looks remarkably like that Lomo lens it's got little linkages and things so that you're if you yeah. did take this off you would probably have to create a custom made way to fire the shutter and you know it would be tricky yeah although I suppose maybe you could jam it open and then use the camera's shutter but yeah yeah and 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 I found it easiest to do with lenses that that um once you remove them from cameras, it just lets it permanently open, and you can use the, you know, like a mirrorless camera. You're mm-hmm. just using the the shutter on the mirrorless camera to provide that function, right? Right. Um, yep. So, so I think it that it does work really well if you if you can just you get something off a camera and mount it into a holder, essentially to put it on something else. Right. You're generally in good shape. And sometimes you you know another thing you could consider doing uh, if you're rash is taking the lens apart from the front so sometimes you can get the glass yeah. parts out right and and if you can figure out how, how to reassemble them um yeah i think the thing here is to look for a, a camera that someone ran over with a, a car or, you know and only the, lens, <laughs> only the lens survived or whatever yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm just going to say before we move on to our, our next uh, uh email um if uh, nick if you if you do want to um, build any more cameras or anything like that. I think I think if you can move them a little bit further away from your microphone, uh, because um, we're we're hearing everything. Um, okay, okay, things are clicking. Okay. I think there's a steel rule going on there as well that you're measuring and you, you know, you're, you're t- taking note about how much to shave off. And Wait, so let's on. play. Let's let's play with camera sounds. Wait, we that's always a fun thing to do. We can do this, can't we? It's true. It's true. Uh, Right. And should we should we do our next our next email, Johnny? Oh, sure. Why not? We yeah. we could we could do that. Um, next email. And now this is a this is a this is a bigger one. This is uh, Mr. Jason Elias, who says his subject is a couple of topics for you, meaning us. Uh, and he says, "Hello, gents. Continuing to enjoy the podcast here, and I hope you keep it going for quite a long time." Uh, one quick question, maybe quick maybe not and one longer one they both look pretty long so we'll just dive in uh, for the next wait for the next indeterminate while i am intending my film shooting to be with my pen f system only partly because i love the pen f body partly because i'm cheap and hey 72 frames uh partly because i like the look of half frame and partly because i've been frozen with decision paralysis for months regarding whether to build a nikon or pentax 35 millimeter system so maybe the easiest is just to procrastinate indefinitely Um, he says i only have the 38 millimeter 1.8 and the 100 millimeter 3.5 so far i think i want to get the 25 f2.8 and maybe the 20 but probably just a 25 and hopefully the famous 40 millimeter 1.4. My question is then about the more exotic lenses for the system, especially the 60 millimeter F1.5 and the 70 millimeter F2. They are very rare and very expensive, but are they worth it? 
what sort of rendering and image quality can I expect from them? Also, can I? Uh, I can't imagine the 50 to 90 zoom being much good, but maybe it is. Uh, and then he goes on to say, I do have an Olympus OM to pen adapter, uh, but I but in using it for a while, I found I really dislike not having auto aperture. I will maybe keep it uh, for possible future use with my ultra wide, but that's about it. So that's the first part. I don't know if we want to. No, let's, let's uh, yeah, let's let's answer that one now. I think um, take that one there, and and I think I'm going to hand it over to to you guys because I know very little about these. I mean, I, I, I can, if you like, I can speak to this one because I have that camera and I have most of the lenses that were mentioned here. Yeah, um, I don't except, have any half frame stuff. Okay, so I, I have, I, I have several Penf cameras, like maybe about a half a dozen, um, and. It's it is one of my favorite uh, systems to shoot by far. I think it's one of the 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 best kind of outside the box engineered thirty five millimeter cameras ever made. Personally, is my feeling, um, and I think I have all the lenses mentioned here except for the seventy millimeter f two and the fifty to ninety zoom. I would have to agree that I I wouldn't imagine the fifty to ninety zoom is going to be. Um, of much use or interest. It, I think zoom lenses prior to, you know, well, let's say all zoom lenses, but certainly zoom lenses from the kind of mid-60s, mid-70s, they tend to not be anything really fantastic other than convenient and interesting, I, I guess. Um, but a lot of times they're big and heavy and the 50 to 90 for the Pen F system, I think, defeats the whole purpose of having the Pen F system because, you know, it's a nice little camera. So, but I, I do have all the other lenses except for the uh, 70 F2. And the only reason I don't have the 70 F2 is I have the 65 1.5, or I'm sorry, the 61.5. And it seems to me why have a, <laughs> why have the 70 if you've got the 60? Um, I will say it, it took me about three or four years to find the 60 millimeter 1.5 lens uh, at a price I, I could afford. I did finally find one and it is a, I would say a truly remarkable lens. I I really have not used it in ages and ages. Um, I think I just wanted it because it was so rare <laughs> and and I really wanted to play with it. And I mean, it's, it, but it is a remarkable lens. Um, and you, you know, on half frame, you're talking about a lens that's what 60, I guess it's uh, about a 90, 90 millimeter lens. Um, so you're talking about a really amazing portrait lens for the, the pen F system. Um, but when you get right down to it, what I, what I found is that, uh, if you use a, um, a 50 millimeter 1.4, uh, you're getting almost the same image you would get from a, the 60 millimeter 1.5 for a lot less money. So I, I guess my suggestion is you could probably save yourself the trouble and and get uh, something like an SMC um, uh, Pentax 51.4, and you're going to get just about the same results in the end, and it's going to be far less trouble. Um, I do have the 25 millimeter 2.8. I think it's that's a great lens. I actually have several of them. It took me quite a while to find one that is a really really great performer um, so that is a good one to have if you can find it uh, but they tend to be quite pricey uh, and the 20 millimeter lens I I gave up trying to find one um, this is the 20 millimeter 3.5 pen F lens uh, because I could not find one that that uh, didn't have haze um, and in talking with the I guess you'd call them the the primo 
primo top top tier uh, serv- service man service person for the PenF system um, uh, who is John Hermanson I'm sorry not John Herm yeah John Hermanson of uh, zukio.com uh, who does repairs exclusively on Olympus gear um, he he told me I asked him about this lens and he said that the 20 millimeter lens has is prone to uh, basically an optical flaw where the the lens gets hazy over time I think it's it's a form of separation essentially and it's it's not repairable so if you have a clear one I think uh, the only person I know who has a good one is uh, uh, Dan um, Dan is uh, Dan uh, Mar- Marinelli no not that Dan different Dan yeah, Israel Dan <laughs> uh, Israel Dan has uh, why am I spacing on names today but Dan Dan does a lot of shooting with the Pen F and he has a 20 millimeter that's nice and clear and gets really good results with it I, I kind of gave up and um, uh, just you know you, you can get I would say the easiest way to shoot 20 millimeters on the Pen F system is to get um, a 20 millimeter OM lens and you're going to get or a 21 millimeter OM lens and probably get about the same results. Uh, but I just couldn't find a clean copy of that lens, so I gave up. <laughs> what about I'm a, like the, I'm a quitter. <laughs> uh, the, could you are any of the rangefinder flashback distances workable? Could you uh, the, use the, the Voigtlander uh, Sadly, they are not. No, uh, and I've yeah, and I've I've tried that. It's funny because the flange distance is very similar to LTM, but the mirror it just won't clear the mirror oh, right. because the the ltm lenses hang just enough into the mirror box on the pen f that mm-hmm. they just don't they just don't work and yeah. it's it's one of those cases where it's like a millimeter of uh flange distance makes a humongous amount of difference you know it just doesn't yeah. work and i but- even have the really rare it's hard to find i have the uh ltm adapter for pen f and it's really for macro stuff only um, so unfortunately, it, it it doesn't work, and I've I've thought a lot, pondered a lot on that, but it just it isn't a workable solution, unfortunately. So, That's too bad. Yeah. Yep. Sad thing. Uh, but uh, other SLR lenses uh, will work beautifully on the PenF system, and I know that um, that Dan uses uh, Nikon super wides quite a bit on his PenF, and they work great. Uh, so if you can if you can get a hold of the original. Uh, OG PenF adapters, which exist, they, I mean they're pricey. But if you can get a hold of those, it opens up a whole world of opportunity on the PenF system, um, and they work really well, which I can say from personal experience. So, yeah, I suppose all those little tiny medium format lenses would work pretty well too. I I think they would if you could if you could get them on there. It's still you know the only drawback is you're going from medium format to APS-C essentially. Oh, it'd so be a had, long season. Yeah, <laughs> right. So you, you end up with a lot of big telephotos. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, but it's doable. It's possible. Uh, so, um, shall we go on to maybe question portion number no, yeah. number two? Yeah. Um, Dan Goshen. There we go. <laughs> I knew I was going to come with it. Dan Goshen is the Penef master, in my in my opinion. And he does a lot of shooting with uh, PenF with all sorts of things adapted to it. So check out Dan Goshen's stuff. I'll see if I can get a link to him in our podcast notes. Uh, okay, going on to the second second part of the question. Um, 
and this is again from Jason Elias. Uh, then a topic suggestion, and maybe you'll need a guest for this. I've been interested in Micro Four Thirds lately and was looking into C-mount lenses a bit. Uh, just did a search on C-mount and eBay, and the selection is completely overwhelming, uh, and every one of them is utterly foreign to me. Not only movie camera lenses, but night vision and all sorts of other things, and prices from nearly free up to eye-watering. An episode dedicated to navigating the frightening noob through this wild frontier could be interesting and useful. I have to think that if one is after cinematic look, using a movie camera lens on a suitable sensor size seems a logical approach. Best regards from Manitoba, which is now finally rapidly thawing after several years of winter, <laughs> Jason Elias. Uh, we have talked about having this program, I think, for at least a year probably since the start of the Classic Lenses podcast, which is specifically about cine lenses on Micro Four Thirds? Or I guess, did we? Did you maybe cover that a bit? We, well, we, well we, we did uh, with, um, uh, with Matthew Duclos yeah, on right. the show. Oh, you weren't there for that, were you, John? That was the one episode I think I've missed. Yeah. Yes, yes, that was the one. Um, yeah. Although we, we didn't, that's the thing though, we, we did not cover C-mount lenses. And, uh, yeah, this, okay. and, this, and this goes back to that thing that we were talking earlier about um, image circles. And I, 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 right, thinking, I knew there was, right. some, there was another one, not just about projection lenses, but uh, cine lenses. And I, and I don't know, Nick, have you, have you got any experience with C-mount lenses? I haven't tried adapting them to anything else, um, but yeah, I mean, it, they're really an interesting area. It and they're and they also are another branch of that RAF camera adapter yeah, site. Yeah. They have they have adapters for some of the um, so former Soviet Union cine lenses on there as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I and I've I've done personally. I've I have done some C mount stuff onto APS-C on my Fuji, and it works really well as long as the lenses. You, typically, you need a um, a cine lens that's thirty five millimeter focal length or longer, but they do work really well. Um, so I I have personally done that. I think four thirds is probably the perfect platform for C mount stuff because you're going to be able to use some of the wides a little bit more effectively. Uh, so they're, they're, I mean, it just you, you have less image circle coverage problems. So I, I think we probably really still need to talk to do an episode um, at some point about that specifically. I do think it's a really great topic. Um, I, I think it's it's funny how the world seems to have evolved from, uh, you know, originally this classic lens stuff. Uh, even even the photography with classic lenses Facebook page really started as a micro four-thirds mirrorless kind of world where that's that was the primary platform for adapting lenses back at the start and you know the world seems to have moved on largely to full frame mirrorless but the, you know that those that certainly doesn't leave a lot of options for c-mount cine lenses because you've just got you've, you've got no uh, image circle to cover full frame for sure. So it seems like micro four thirds and C-mount lenses would, would still be a great um, uh, topic for us to, to cover because there are a lot of great image making opportunities available still using those lenses on the, on those cameras. Yeah. And uh, so the shorter flangeback distance that gives you, you know, uh, the ability to use wider lenses is a really great thing. Um, that's what you're talking about. But, yeah. You know, if you're, if what you have is a bigger sensor, 
there's also nothing wrong with cropping no. after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can I just mean... crop into that circle. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you gotta get that peephole tunnel vision effect, but so you just crop the you crop your image to the right? I mean, you right? just yeah. you just, exactly. just crop crop away the vignetting and you still you are right. definitely still making an image. Yeah. And might as well go to square format while you're at it. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very good. Jason Elias, thank you very much for the questions. Those are great. Um, shall we move on to our last question? Yeah, let's go to that. Okay, and this is from uh, another regular podcast listener, Mr. James Thorpe, and his subject is uh, episode number 60. He says, great podcast, guys. Glad I'm not a dentist. Sorry to have missed the photography show across the pond. Sounds a Amazing. Uh, he says, hey, Johnny, I've just shot a test batch of Jason Lane's dry plates 4x5 on my Graflex RB and was very happy with the initial results. Uh, amazing resolution. Since Jason will custom cut any plate size, I think I'll order some for my Voigtlander Bergeil 6.5x9. Uh, that's excellent. Also, uh, he says, also, thanks for reminding me about the Roloflex option. I purchased a complete kit from the Netherlands last year, and it included many extras, spe spe eh, specifically five plate-slash-sheet film backs, which have just been gathering dust. Um, and Jason is gearing up for Kickstarter to manufacture new plate holders. So there's a, a link here, which I will uh, definitely include in the podcast notes. Um, James says this will be incredibly useful as most of the plate holders available now are for fragile 100 year old antiques uh, cheers James Thorpe uh, James yeah thank you for the, the email um, I'm literally going to be shooting my uh, J-Lane dry plates uh, this afternoon for the first time in my Roloflex so I'm, I'm super super looking forward to this experiment uh, and I would love to shoot them in other uh, plate film cameras and other formats as well. So it's it, this is, I think, something I'm really interested in exploring more this year, photographically. So I I, I intend to shoot, um, you know, start with my Roloflex, the glass plates in there, and then move on to to other formats for sure. So um, and and we are, I should mention, we have we have Jason Lane coming up as a guest here on Classic Lenses podcast in April. So my my thought is that I will have some finished images to share with you all by that time. That sounds cool. Yeah, I can't wait. And and Jason is also uh, an optical engineer, so he's gonna when he's on with us, he's gonna talk about optics and glass, and then we will also talk about glass plates. So we'll we'll have, be able to answer those questions about taking lenses apart and putting them back together again, I guess. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Yeah. Yeah, something to look forward to there. Um, yeah. I think uh, soon we just uh, uh, thank you, James, for for your email there, and I just want to say uh, thanks to James as well because James is one of our regular yes, uh, he is. coffee contributors. Um, yeah. So uh, so thank you very much for that, and I think it's that means it's a good time to just go through uh, uh, the two uh, contributions we had this week. Uh, one, uh, the first one that we had come through was from Nigel Cliff. Um, and he says uh, one for the show and one for John. Somehow I'm thinking of an Elvis song there when he when he says that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, one for one for the show and one for Johnny for doing a whole po whole podcast without any ageist comments. Ooh. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I could tell some stories from this week if you like some ageism here in today's podcast. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you normally um, put your ageism out when you're a guest on the Negative Positives podcast, don't you, Johnny? I, I, I do generally, yes. I guess that's true. Or just uh, pretty much any time the topic of film comes up. <laughs> I think I think the, the whole point of ageist comments is to create the false impression that you're young. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, these, yeah, these are, I'm most certainly are, not. <laughs> these are podcasts. Nobody actually knows that we're all just a bunch of ancient geezers. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Exa exactly. But I and and but I am regularly uh, berated by slightly older geezers who who like to tell me that there's no such thing as film left. Um, I, I had that experience day before yesterday, where a fine gentleman came in. Um, who looked at all the 4 by 5 cameras on display and said, well, what are you going to do with all those when the film is finally gone? And I said, well, I don't think 4 by 5 films are disappearing anytime soon, but I guess we'll just keep them on display as museum pieces. Um, <laughs> I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make my own plates. It's nothing there, there you go. Yeah, right. yeah, there you go. Not something I'm overly concerned about. So I, I, I tried to be as you know, professional and friendly as possible while basically giving him kind of a f off, uh, <laughs> f off eye, eye while we were speaking. But I was very professional, very professional. <laughs> would ne would, ne would never want to, you know, give anybody some attitude for being a uh, uh, an old geezer who thinks film is dead. So there you go. So there's your ageism. Thanks very much, Jim. James Thorpe. For... No, 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 I was Nigel. <laughs> Nigel. Oh, Nigel. That's right. Nigel. Yeah, Nigel. That's right. Okay. Um, and uh, our other contributor on coffee.com. Uh, if you just do a search for classic lenses and uh, you can help us out if you wish. Um, and this was from Fraser Yule, um, who I've met twice uh, recently because I, I met him at the Merseyside uh, Mersey Meetup photo walk. Uh, couple of months ago and he was also at the NEC at the photography show last week as well and um, and he says uh, be meaning to buy you chaps a coffee or a gin and tonic I can't think why he mentioned gin and tonic um, <laughs> or maybe I can um, for a while uh, thanks for a great podcast always entertaining amusing and informative um, although it's put my bank account on life support uh, the, uh, <laughs> yes we can understand that um, and the, uh, the the last few have been bloody good uh, so keep up the good work um, thank you Fraser it's a pleasure to meet you twice now so um, yeah thank you very much I really appreciate it um, and uh, I've got one one more thing to I'm not going to do it as a shout out but it's now an official part of today's podcast is uh, and that Lyndon um, from Londinian Cameras um, who we had on uh, a few shows back uh, for the uh, When Fungus Attacks uh, episode uh, where we talked about um, fixing lenses and such and uh, just to remind you L Lyndon of Londinium Cameras is a uh, professional uh, camera and lens fixer um, and uh, he got in touch and he's saying he's got a couple of projection lenses uh, which are going begging, and um, and he said, and we were talking about, you know, he's going to do them as a giveaway. And I think, well, we 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 have to have some kind of uh, question when we give something away, and we had a chat about it. And what we agreed that we'd do is, Lyndon is going to put on his website, which is uh, so I'm going to bring that up just now. Um, if you, it's Londinium, yeah, we pronounce it Londinium, but it's it's spelled Londiniumcameras.com. Um, so Londinium 
cameras.com if you do a search for that you will find his, his page and then if you go to the blog section on there um, it's not up as we speak but hopefully it will be by the time the podcast goes out he's going to post a picture of a lens and uh, he would like uh, anybody that's interested in uh, winning two Roly projection lenses that he has. Oh, um, nice. If you send an email uh, to classiclenses.com and we'll pick a winner out uh, the following week. And so a lucky person will win. Uh, actually, you know, I'm just wondering if he was splitting it. You know what? He was splitting it. So he's going to do um, one for Britain. Uh, but see is locally based and we'll do one for the rest of the world so he's going to split them up so um so we'll pull out two names so if you um so if you do go to his page go to the blog um there'll be a picture of a lens and uh and all you'll be able to see is the mount um send an email to uh, classic lenses podcast at gmail.com saying what the mount is and also please tell us what country you're in um if you're the winner we'll then get in touch with you and ask for your address so if you just tell us what the mount is and uh, what country you're in and then that'll help us pull out a, a winning a winning name so uh look forward right. to doing that next week um and uh is there is there any more for any more do you want is there anything you want to get off your chest uh, uh nick actually is our guest who's been sitting quietly in the background there is there anything else you want yeah. to say or any shout outs or anything like that uh so uh, it just occurred to me that you asked about favorite lenses and I skipped um, Mamiya Press. I'm also really hooked on those oh. right now because they are another very versatile lens with a pretty big image format, uh, image circle sure. that that has um, uh, shutter. So they're very easy to adapt. That's right. Okay. Okay. Um, right then. Uh, well, actually, just going back. Uh, Johnny, are there any shout outs you want to do this week? Um, actually, yeah, I had one that uh, kind of uh, it kind of already happened, I guess you would say. Um, I had a shout out. Um, oh, where am I going with this? I, I had a shout out for uh, Beth Ann and uh, Jared uh, Tramper from Cary, Illinois. Who um, they Jared Jared is sort of a a regular visitor at uh, Central Camera Company. Um, is really into classic lenses and you know adapting them onto his Sony. He's using them both for his work in real estate photography and then a bunch of other things as well. But I hadn't met Beth Ann before, so um, she was down with with Jared. They they stopped in at Central Camera. We had a nice chat about uh, classic lenses, and I know that they did a few things around town uh, in Chicago and got some great shots while they were at it. So I I would say uh, if you are in the uh, classic lenses photography with classic lenses facebook group uh take a look there and uh jared and beth ann shared some uh some photos from their visit to chicago this week so that was great to see them so my shout out uh to uh jared and beth ann excellent uh right then nick um it's been great having you on the show uh we've learned a lot um, as we do with many of our guests actually so that, that's always a good thing um so how can people uh keep up with you on the when you're not on our show uh, the you know, so the, the things that you do in the places where you share your your pictures and talk a lot on podcasts and things yeah well uh, every couple of weeks we put out um an edition of the homemade camera podcast with nick and graham and that's graham young and uh that sort of describes our adventures and explorations in making homemade cameras and then most of my kind of bulk photographic uploads happen on Flickr under Nick Lyle L-Y-L-E 
and uh, but and I post a little bit on Instagram under Abby Nick A V Y N I C K. Uh, I'm not that active on social media, but you know it's how I keep in touch with fellow enthusiasts. So I'm sort of rattle around a little bit in those in those areas. Right, that's 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 great. Um, right, uh, Johnny, uh, do you want to tell us how people can keep up with you as we start to round things off? Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, you can keep up with me personally on Instagram. Um, I am at System Photography there on Instagram. You can catch up with me at Central Camera Company in Chicago. I am there every day except for Sunday and Monday, uh, and I can be glad to talk with you there in person. Um, and you can also, while you're on Instagram, you should be tagging your images with the hashtags uh, classic lenses and best vintage lens and you will have a chance then to be featured on our Instagram partner uh, best vintage lens who will also be providing the commentary on this week's episode as they do every week and as we all know their commentary is always better than the actual podcast itself so <laughs> be sure to check that out on uh, Instagram um, the next time you are hanging out over on Instagram uh, okay, and did you mention the website? Uh, not the website, the um, email address and the website for that matter. Well, yes, the email address, of course, is classiclensespodcast at gmail.com, but it's even easier to simply go to classiclensespodcast.com and click the old button right there, and you can send us a, uh, an email directly without ever having to fire up your old email program. Um, so do that. You can also sign up for the email list to leave an, uh, to uh, get an announcement about each episode as it comes out, which looking at my MailChimp dashboard here, I see that maybe all of oh, five or six of you have done that. Um, so I would su <laughs> suggest three, you... Three yeah, of those are also. <laughs> three, yeah, three, and three of those are the podcast folks here. So I would say get on the ball, sign up to get the email, and it's amazing what happens. We release an episode, and in your mailbox, you get... You get an email that has, you know, the the link right there to the to the podcast. So as soon as it goes live, you'll know about it. So you want to definitely check that out. You can also, well, I'll let I'll let Simon do that, the Kofi thing. He likes to talk. No, about we, we've Kofi. we've we've done that already. Okay, we, all right, we, we've done we, that we already. Push that too hard. All right. Anyway, go to classiclensespodcast.com where you can stay stay up to date on all the best classic lenses podcast stuff that's happening. Okay, and uh, so finally, I'm I'm actually going to do a shameless plug for my own uh, website now, uh, because on there now, if you go to simonforsterphotographic.co.uk, you will see the new range of uh, camera adapters, lens adapters that I'm now selling uh, from a company called Ficas, um, and they are very high quality adapters. I think I'm the only person in Europe selling them at the moment. Um, so uh, yeah, please please take take a look at them. Um, so uh, so that's 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 a shameless plug of my my website there. Uh, <laughs> I'm, also, I'm also on um, Twitter as Simon Four on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Um, I think I just want to say thank you again, Nick, for being a great guest with us this week. It's been good to have you here. Oh, thank you. It's been really fun. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. And uh, so last bits, uh, you can find uh, 
the hosts at least and hopefully Carl will be coming back although he's not back with us next week so it'll be the week after um, but we're, we regularly post and you can all comment in, in the, the Facebook group for photography with classic lenses and uh, last of all I just want to say thank you to Kevin McLeod for our music from incompetech.com uh, and letting us use his Octo Blues uh, music and that's it so I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and it'd be great if you can join us again next week so thank you and goodbye Thank you.